Everybody and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. Hey baby! Hey everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. This is episode four. Uh, we are here to get our final thoughts on Back to the Future versus Raiders of the Lost Ark. Thanks for sticking around this whole time. Get out your fedora and your bullwhip one last time. Episode four. Yeah, time to go back in time. Okay, so go back to go back to Marty. I'm so sorry. Marty, yeah, is his biggest fear being erased from existence? Kind of, right? Yeah. I mean, what what he's dealing with is this idea of rejection, and that he wants to be somebody, but he's afraid of the rejection. But there's still this idea that he wants to be a star. He wants to be something more than the McFlies of the past, who never amounted to anything, right? And so. His big fear is being erased from existence. So what does he do? How does he save himself? He doesn't. And that's the beauty of this movie, and it's also the beauty of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which we'll talk about later. But in this movie, we have the dad who's been the biggest dork (laughs) for the entire time who comes in and saves the day. And he doesn't save Marty. He saves Lorraine. Uh But in saving Lorraine... He saves Marty. That's right, and that's what's that, you're exactly right, and that is that is so great. Yeah, because Lorraine's affections have then turned from Marty to George. Right, which in the original course of history they were with George, but why were they with George? She felt sorry for him. She felt sorry for him. He was a victim that she had the Florence Nightingale syndrome for, mm-hmm. right? That's right. But now that changes. So this goes to another big idea in the movie: destiny and transformation. What seemingly insignificant events in our life have shaped the course of everything that's happened to us? That was so stupid. Grandpa hit him with the car. (laughs) It was meant to be. And see, it's interesting that she still falls for George, demonstrating that there is this certain kind of destiny, but she falls in love with him for a different reason now. It's not out of sympathy, but because he has been her saving hero. I think a man should be strong. So he can stand up for himself and protect the woman he loves. He's her density. I mean, his destiny. Okay, so here's a couple of things that I want to mention to you. Okay. Indy, this is back to the moral ambiguity of Indiana Jones. Yeah. He chooses the arc over Marion at least twice in this movie. Huge. Right before he goes to the Well of Souls, yeah. he finds Marion alive. Yep. She didn't blow up in the truck. Right. She's tied up in a tent. When he finds her, she's happy to see him. What's wrong? Come loose. I know where the ark is, Marion. The ark's here? Well, I'm coming with you, Jones. Get me out of here. Come loose. You can't leave right. me here. I'll take you out of here now. I'll start combing the place for us. Jones, you gotta get me out of here. Come on, Jones. Are you crazy? You know, I hate to do this, but if you don't sit still, quiet, this whole thing is going to be shot. Get back to get you. Leaving her in danger. Right. Going to get the ark. 
how bad is that really? <laughs> if you just take a little bit of time to think about what could have happened as opposed to what does happen. Yeah. I mean, Tote shows up again. I, I mean, talk about a guy who kills every drinking game there is. <laughs> kills every conversation. I mean, gee, I'm, I'm, I'm always worried. If, I'm, if I take a shot, is this crazy Nazi going to show up behind me? What's well, going to happen here? What shall we talk about tonight? <laughs> uh, we are not thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was so good. Oh, he was so good. And it, it's uh, here's another here's another another factor of the of the Raiders movie that isn't. On the perfection level, he's balls, right? But he's got a five o'clock shadow on his head. <laughs> he does. He does. <laughs> How did that happen? I, uh, uh, I mean, just you know, either somebody, put on a put on a prosthetic or something, but it, that just shaving it's not going to work out. When he wipes the sweat back. off his head, you're like, dude, just <laughs> not shave your head anymore. So that's one part when Indy chooses the Ark over Marion. Yes. Later on, it happens after Indy chases down Marion on the submarine. Yes. He uh, lashes himself to the submarine with his whip, to the periscope. That's which, the only possible way that he could have done it. Which is not really seen in the movies. But it's, it's not seen at all. Well, I know, but there's you can YouTube it and yeah. see <laughs> Harrison Ford tied to the periscope with his whip. They arrive at the island where they're going to do the Jewish ceremony yes. that the Germans are uncomfortable with mm-hmm. and open the ark. Right. So they're walking through this canyon to the place where they're going to do this, which is actually the same canyon that Star Wars, where the, the Jawas show up and I thought it looked grab familiar. R2-D2. Same canyon. Yeah. And Indy shows up there with a bazooka. Right. Hello. <laughs> right. I'm going to blow up the ark. But Belloc, again, is one step ahead of him. Right. He calls his bluff. Uh-huh. So he's like, all right, fine. You win. Blow it back to God. Indiana, we are simply passing through history. This, this is history. And it's impactful because why? Because archaeology is the religion. And Indy can't do it. Right. All he wants is the girl. Right. He says he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the ark. He wants the girl. He's finally picking the girl. Yep. But they say, oh, yeah? Go for it. Go for it. And he says, can't do it. So he chooses the ark twice. Well, I'm going to say at that scene, he really had his, I mean, he had his hard in the right place because I think if they would have let Marion go that he would have walked away I don't think that he would continue to pursue the Ark although that might have been an interesting way to take things and see how they not went not sure what his escape plan was yeah that begs the question on how the heck did they get after the end of the movie back to the United States but anyway <laughs> the- <laughs> that's right another imperfection that we've talked about I think that if they'd have released her and he'd have found a way to get out of there with her and not the Ark that he would have left the Ark and let it go but if he blows up the Ark, he kills her, too. Right. I mean, and then he's alone. He's destroyed the Ark and the girl. He gets nothing. That's no good. That's a terrible plan. Yeah. It, it, it really wasn't a good plan to begin with. Not a good plan at all. Not to start off with, no. When they, they're in the Well of the Souls, Belloc sees them. They show up, retake the Ark. Yeah. Toss Marion down into the Well of Souls. Right. So he has it, and then he loses it again. Dr. Jones. Again, we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away. So he and Marion figure a way to wiggle out of the Well of the Souls that they've been looking for for 3,000 years, but it's parked right next to an airplane. Yeah, that's the most absurd, <laughs> ridiculous scene ever. Like and it's not even covered up well. He just pushes the rock out. Right. I mean, it's literally like you didn't have to do all that digging. You could have just moved a rock and gone through some dead right bodies. Here. Yeah. Yeah. What? The, I mean, it's obviously something important enough to have a guard 
guarding it. Let's talk about that for a second. Go! That is a cutout fight scene. Yeah. When Indy escapes, pushes the rock out of the well of the souls, climbs out. Right. If you look he at He was movie, reborn, by the way. This is that's his rebirth. And it boy isn't it does just look like a birth to see him squeeze <laughs> out of that little hole. He pops out of the hole, and if you watch the movie, there is no fight there, but there is a guard who's down. As they run away, you can see him knocked out in the corner. So he's achieved what we thought was the ultimate goal of the whole movie. They've found the Ark, right? right? And then the Ark gets replaced with the girl. And it's that big question again of which is more important to you, Indy? Is it the girl or the Ark? And he goes through everything, saves Mary, and they get out. She saves him. And does he just say, okay, I've got the girl in move on and go home no he decides he's still got to go chase after the ark and by golly as a viewer of this movie thank you for doing that because that scene that action adventure scene that happens oh my gosh maybe best action adventure scene ever so good the scene where he slips falls behind the truck being dragged but not only holds on but climbs back up i mean i again i'm gonna say Ark gave him some supernatural powers for a little while here, right? Because there's no way that any real human could have lived through all of that. That's right. That's right. But he's got this constant struggle of, do I want the Ark? Do I want the girl? I'm starting to believe that maybe the Ark has power of, no, that's still a religious folklore stuff that that messes everybody up. I'm not going to believe that. During the truck scene, during the truck scene, yeah. Which th- you do have this big stunt thing where the- he goes out the front window, under or around the front of the car, underneath the car, uses his whip, pulls back in, retakes the truck. Before he retakes the truck, he gets shot in the arm. Yes. And Harrison Ford does a great job of selling this as pain, like serious pain. Uh huh. Like one of the things that I love the movie Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Axel Foley gets shot with a 357 from five feet away. <laughs> And he does, feels no pain the rest of the entire movie. And he's making jokes. And yeah. Indy gets shot, and it grazes his arm, and it it hurts, right? Yeah. right. That's what, and I love that about him. Yeah. So, again, much like Indy, Marty has the same experience, where he thinks he's achieved his goal, but it turns out it's not quite there it's yet, right? It's not quite there, right. It's not quite there. So his dad has finally stood up to the bully, right? I didn't know you had it in him. He's never stood up to Viv in his life. Never? Okay. (laughs) Um, So his dad has got the rocks to stand up to the bully, but will he let another bully steal his dance? I mean, what's going on here? I'm starting to get weak. I can't play the guitar anymore. A hand that sort of looks like my hand is disappearing in front of my face. That, by the way, is one of the bad effects of this movie. Maybe the only one. But as I found out later on, it was because they wanted to release the movie earlier than they had planned to release it. Like There are some special effects that Bob Zemeckis specifically said... I would have much rather had a better effect here, but we were so pressed for time we couldn't. And so you've got this really bad disappearing hand that happens. Would you rather have Eric Stoltz? Would you rather have a bad effect? I'll take the bad effect. Me too. For sure. Me too. And this is, you know, there's this classic thing that used to happen in the very first theater, in the Greek theater, that they called God from the Machine. And in Marty's case, the God from the Machine is his dad. It isn't him that saves the day. It's his dad that saves the day by knocking out Biff. And it's his dad that saves 
saves the day by throwing the new bully to the ground. So dad again comes in, saves the day, kisses the girl, and yes, this is it. The swell of the music. The swell. So this is, again, goes to Alan Silvestri's amazing use of the theme music of the movie and the actual music that you're listening to that the characters can hear. You know, they're singing Earth Angel, and you've got a four or five piece band doing this, Earth Angel, and then suddenly when that kiss happens, it's an entire orchestra. Marty stands to attention and strums Earth Angel and here we go. Everything's okay, and everybody appears back on the picture, and it's I beautiful get again. Just now thinking about it, this moment, this is where we have the answer to that question of: Are we destined to repeat our failures? or our successes of our parents. When he says, Jesus, I sound just like my dad, it's his fear of rejection, right? And so he sees his dad finally stand up to Biff. He sees his dad finally stand up to some other bully and make this kiss happen. And you know what? I am going to put myself out there. Even though I know I need to be at a time machine and just a little bit of amount of time, I'm going to go ahead and play a song for these kids. (laughs) All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? But gosh, I'm so glad you did. Once again, I am glad that you decided to press your time and play that song because at that moment, I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. And Marty goes all the way, too. Yeah. He, he goes all the way in that he song. He goes full Eddie Van Halen all the way in that he song. the who? Uh-huh. He with the, with with the, the smashing of the guitars. Yes. Yes. He does it all without fear of rejection, which is good, because that's exactly what he gets. That's right. But <laughs> <laughs> everybody's standing there looking at him and they're like, what is going on here? But he takes it in stride and keeps on going. That's right. Okay, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are going to love it. He is a changed man because of what he's seen his dad do. Let's talk a little bit about Johnny Be Good for a second. Okay. Were you familiar with the song before you saw this movie? I could say I probably heard it, but wasn't impactful. Okay, I wasn't either, but Chuck Berry was the one who came out with Johnny Be Good, okay? Yes. Marvin Berry is the leader of the band singing the high school Earth Angel. Your cousin. Your cousin, Marvin Berry. (laughs) Um, So that's a neat little thing right there. And I guess I heard that Chuck Berry at the last second sort of had to be convinced. Yeah, well, he had to be paid. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, no, you can't use my song. No, you can't use my song. How about $50,000? All right, you can use my <laughs> Okay, so let's come back to Indy real quick, okay? He's got this struggle that he's going through of, do I want the arc? Do I want the girl? But the thing that kind of arcs the whole movie is his doubt and unbelief. And Indy clings to his unbelief, even though we see the uncertainty behind his eyes. We know that he was raised in church because he's like, didn't you guys go to Sunday school? <laughs> 
Um, but then, you know... And we know Dr. Jones later on in part three. Right. And Belloc says archaeology is our religion, right? Yes. And so Brody is trying to warn him. And his response is, what are you trying to do? Scare me? I don't believe in magic, a lot of superstitious hocus pocus. I'm going after a find of incredible historical significance. And you're talking about the boogeyman. That's what his his struggle is throughout the whole movie, but we see the power of the Ark. He doesn't even see it. He doesn't see the Nazi symbol being burned on the box by the power of the Ark. But bit by bit, we can see that he's becoming aware of the power beyond its mere historical importance. Yes. So let's talk about when they open the Ark. Okay. So Marion and Indy are captured after the bazooka Right. Standoff, right? Yes. They're taken to this place. They perform this giant ceremony. They have German soldiers there. They have cameras there. Let's mm-hmm. film this. Again, I'm going to ask this question. Yes. What does Indy do to save the day? Nothing. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly the same. You have God from the machine again. And in this situation, you've got actual God <laughs> that's from the machine. That's I mean, true. that's what it is. Um, the Ark, I mean, is the machine and the power of God then annihilates the enemy. This scene is so cool. This scene terrified me as a kid. I know we, you and I have talked a little yeah. bit about this. Yeah. Uh, it was. It scared me to death. The music from John Williams makes it amazing. Yes. But it, it, it's a slow burn, too, for, for because they take the lid off the ark, they reach in, they pull out nothing but sand. Right. And it's sort of this... And then they're laughing. And they're, yeah. Laughing at God. Right. You know where that gets you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tote. So it's about to find out what happens. Oh, yeah. Sand. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's like clouds, right? And then light right. coming from inside the ark. Yeah. And, and and it's like, oh, my gosh, here we go. What's going on? There's and some beauty. Oh, and We see the, beauty. When the spirits come out, they're beautiful. Yeah. Right? These angels. Right. Angels slash demons, right? Turns into poltergeist all of a sudden. <laughs> they're flying around, and it's still this slow burn. It's this majestic music. And they're kind of, you know, creeping on these German soldiers, and they're like, "Oh, what's going on here?" And then their face turns into like a tiger, right? This monster. Rah. Uh, it was like a skeleton to me. I was yeah, I mean, f- horrific. It changes from a beautiful woman to a monster. Right, and their only response is to start screaming. And they, yeah, and Tote is screaming his head off, and uh, Belloc is screaming his head off, and this is actually where. Um, it almost got its R rating when Belloc's head actually explodes. Right. The the fire from the arc shoots and it's sort of projecting out from his um, from his head. Which I want to mention for a second. Uh-huh. He is Belloc is dressed as a high priest. Right. A, a Jewish high priest. A Jewish high priest. Which as a kid I'm like, well, he's kinda of wearing some weird clothes. What's the right. deal here? He is dressed appropriately as a Jewish high priest. And boy, that comes back to him for sure. That's exactly right. But right before that all happens, and he tells Marion, Shut your eyes, Marion. Right. Don't look at it. Because Keep he your knows eyes shut. The uncertainty that you've seen in his eyes is his unbelief. You know, the hocus pocus, the folklore. When it gets down to brass tacks, Andy says, close your eyes, Marion. Don't look, because he knows what's coming. That's right. I think it's interesting. Did God spare Indy and Marion because they didn't look or because they weren't German? 
I'm going to say he spared them because they gave him the respect that was due. Okay. The, the only two who were saved were the two who dared not look upon the glory of God. So, I, I, my question on this, and this is final big idea of, of Raiders, is exploration and the journey. So, is it the goal? Is it the ark? Or is it the journey that gives our soul life? Because without the journey, Andy can't believe, right? If he'd have gotten the ark right after talking to Brody, right after leaving on the plane, he'd have been trying to put it in a museum. But we go through the journey that he has with Marion and his love for her and the struggle with the ark and the power that he starts to see. And it's not in his love for Marion. It's not in God. But why does he believe he goes on this quest? He starts off because it's for the history, right? Or maybe the money. Fortune and glory. Fortune and glory, kid. Yeah, I mean, the museum will pay as usual, no questions asked. But there's something more to it. Yeah. It, through this journey, there is something more to it. And uh, we trust you found the settlement satisfactory. Well, the money's fine. The situation is totally unacceptable. Well, gentlemen, I guess that just about wraps it up. Where is the ark? In the hands of top men. What? Who? Who? <laughs> top. Top men. So it is to be hidden. We do actually see the ark again in Crystal Skull. I said that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> I have not watched it. I refuse uh, to watch it. That doesn't count. That's the only cool thing in Crystal Skull when they go to Area 51 and they somebody smashes into a box and you see the corner piece of the arc. That's it. That's all the only redeeming value of Crystal Skull. Okay, as long as you've touched on it, I'm going to throw this out. So we've talked about the MacGuffin for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Obviously, is the arc, right? Yes. And then the MacGuffin for Back to the Future is the time machine, which is made out of a DeLorean, right? Yes, right. But it wasn't originally supposed to be a DeLorean. That is exactly what I was getting ready to say. The first idea that they have for it is it's going to be a refrigerator. refrigerator. Right. Which is stupid. Of course it's stupid. I mean, how, <laughs> if I learned anything from G.I. Joe, it is that you don't get into refrigerators, right? I mean, that's... That's right. That's right. Thank <laughs> you, G.I. Joe, for right. the PSA. And knowing is half the battle. But so, they, they wisely realized, if we put it in a refrigerator, how is it going to get around? I mean, you have to have wheels. Right. Well, Steven Spielberg is the one who said, don't use a refrigerator. That's going to cause problems. We'll have kids get into refrigerators exactly. and be blamed. Then he uses it in Christmas still skull which again is a reason that this movie doesn't exist for me the nuclear blast and then he's inside of a refrigerator and he it's... gets blown four miles and it doesn't hurt nearly as bad as the time marion punched him <laughs> <laughs> oh oh or hit it with the mirror my gosh <laughs> that, that moment oh. the, the huge did you say something <laughs> That that always makes me laugh. Okay, so Indy has completed his journey, and we can see that there's some sort of redemption because the final thing that he says is they don't know what they've got there. But I know what I've got here. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. And actually, that scene with with Indy and Marion walking out uh-huh. and sort of walking down the steps. Yes, that was a last minute throw in, I think, by George Lucas's wife. So you have this the conclusion. Indy and Marion chains are burned off and they're released. God yeah. spared them. Right. But anyway, there was no conclusion with Marion. Right. And so George Lucas's wife was like, well, 
what happens to Marion? Why, why isn't there the closing scene with Marion? Yeah. And they threw in that. Well, that was good because it needed to be there. Without that closing scene, you would have felt like you didn't have closure, right? Right. And then you have the very unpleasant, you know, hiding of the Ark again. Going in the giant warehouse with four billion boxes of who knows what. Right. Which, for me as a kid, it stirred my imagination. Yeah. Like, what's in this place, right? Right. What do they have? So back to the original idea, hey, refrigerator is a time machine, is a bad idea, we Terrible. need to do something else. Um, should we do a phone booth? No, let's leave that for Bill and Ted or Doctor Who or whatever. Right. And so how about we do a car? And so they pick the car that is just this cool car. Now, I'd love to own one one day. I would love to pull up with my flux capacitor fluxing. I would definitely have to have that and a Mr. Fusion. And definitely have to have the Mr. Fusion, yes. So that is where we come back with Marty, right? Marty is on the road back. He's like, oh, shoot, I'm late for that one and only half second shot to make it back home. Maybe I should have ended that shredding a bit sooner. Okay, and then we have, oh, no, the cable broke. And, oh, no, the car won't start. And, oh, no, the cable broke again. And, oh, no, Doc is stuck at the top of the building. And, boy, can you build some tension on this thing. And <laughs> This is my problem. So the tension level, great. Yeah. Drama, Great. Writing, spectacular. I understand all that. Yeah. But Doc makes it clear. Yeah. When that bell goes off, you better hit the gas yep. or you're not going to... And we're talking about a, a lightning strike. Right. It's not like it hangs around. Right. Well, for two and a half minutes, Marty's farting around with the car, can't get the car started. Well, at least 30 seconds anyway, right? Right. So, but here's the thing. There's a full... 60 seconds in a minute. I mean, you're looking at a giant minute hand on a clock tower. How do you know whether it's <laughs> it's it's you know 10.04 and 10 seconds or 10.04 and 45 seconds? Because Doc says it precisely 10.04 p.m. And, or right. whatever it was. Yeah. There's so. no way that he could have possibly known that from looking at a piece of paper that was printed on an old 1980s printer. Well, <laughs> There's no that way. Maybe true. And then, of course, you also have the tension of the fact that he's just trying to tell Doc, just trying to warn him about the future, and he can't do it. Ah, I'm, I'm in a time machine, of course. Ten minutes ought to do it. Stupid. So, I, <laughs> I can remember thinking after I saw the movie, why in the world would he only have put ten minutes? But now, having teenagers of my own... That's right. That is exactly something that they would do. I don't need 10 minutes. <laughs> I only need 9 minutes and 59 seconds. Right. I mean, why give yourself any wiggle room at all? Why <laughs> why not go, well, it'll, you know, even if I had to crawl on my hands and knees cuz I wrecked the car, I could make it there in 2 hours. See, your frontal lobe is fully developed. <laughs> 17-year-olds think like this, right? And so of course, it works. Lightning strikes at the exact right time, and he's back in 1985. But again, let's build that tension. The car dies again. And ah, just to touch this on another setup that you don't even know is a setup. Okay. The bum. Yes. 
Do you know who he is? You told me this, and I've Red heard. Thomas, <laughs> reelect mayor Red Thomas. Oh my gosh, the bum was the mayor back in the fifties. Was his middle name? So Marty busted back to nineteen eighty-five, right? And then we have our resurrection again, right? Doc lives, and how? How? I figured, what the heck? Which one thing? Obviously, George McFly looks very good compared to his former 1985 self. Yeah. Biff, you know, he's wearing that weird leisure suit. He doesn't look good, and that's fine. Right. Lorraine. Yes. The 1985 Lorraine is much thinner. Yes. But I got to tell you, the 2019... Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson. Looks amazing. Way hot. She's way better looking than future Lorraine. Yeah. So, good job, Leah Thompson. Props to you. (laughs) So... If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. And again, we have to say, is it the journey or is it the goal, right? Because without going on this journey, Marty cannot have overcome his fear of rejection that has been ingrained in him by his father. And he can't believe in his dad until he goes through this experience. His dad starts with, I'm just not very good at confrontations. And then it's, he never stood up to Biff in his life. So this journey allows Marty to see things that had shaped his father's life and perspective. And it's only through that journey that he can see how similar that they are and that his dad's change can inspire him to be something more than he thought he could be too. So are we ready to do our final results? Yeah. Okay. So, for me, let's just start it out. Okay. I love both of these movies. Starry Starry Night, Mona Lisa. Exactly. Which do you prefer? They're both amazing. In my opinion, there's three perfect movies from the 80s. And when I say perfect, what I mean are 10 out of 10. I don't mean perfect. Raiders of the Lost Ark is one. Yes. Back to the Future is one. Yes. And for me, Die Hard is one. I agree with all three of those. Okay. So, when we compare Raiders to Back to the Future. Yes. We are comparing the Mona Lisa to Starry Night. Yep. Right. But for myself, the movie that I'm going to choose to sit down and watch the most is Raiders. And I know that you, based on what we've kind of talked about, I know that you're a Back to the Future guy. And Are I'm, you going to give away my answer already? <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised about this. Right. Right. I agree. Three greatest movies are the three that you have mentioned. And in any moment, it would be a difficult decision to pick which one I would want to watch at any particular time. But here's my perspective on Raiders versus Back to the Future. Raiders gave me something like James Bond, but much, much better. Yes. But it was something that was like Superman. He was in a place that I could never be. I could never be Indiana Jones. And as much as we identify him with Indy because he's this imperfect guy and he feels pain and he makes mistakes, he's still a guy who could get dragged behind a car and make it out and win. He's still a guy who can defeat all of the weird booby traps with his incredible intellect. It's not reality to me. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Right. But it's just not real enough to be real to me. Okay. Plus, it takes place in a time that I didn't exist in, 1936. Right. With Back to the Future, I got all of that 
and a guy that I could totally see myself being. I had a skateboard at the time that I saw him skateboarding behind the cars. And I wondered to myself, I was like, hmm, can I do that? I wonder if I could do that. Now, I lived eight miles away from my school, so that wasn't really an option for me. But the skateboarding, the the slacker part of things, and I wasn't a particularly a slacker, but I was kind of a guy who had disdain for authority. And so he was just, he was so much more personable and identifiable and somebody who I could say, that could be me. And if I went back in time, that could be me. Yeah, for sure. And so I think that the ages that we were, given that you're just a few years older than me, Raiders came out in 81. Yep. This came out... 85. 85. So we got four-year difference there. So you're at a pivotal time in your life when you see Raiders. I'm still pretty young. I'm at a pitiful, a p- pivotal time in my life. It was a little pitiful, too. <laughs> uh, but uh, I went out and bought a jeans jacket, you know. I. Right. I became kind of obsessed with the idea of playing guitar, and it took three years before I started actually plucking at the strings, but I was still fascinated by being a guy up on stage playing music. So Back of the Future will always be the most impactful movie for me, and therefore the movie that I go back to. It's I, mean, my I can't favorite fault thing. you for any of that. Yeah. I can't fault you for any of that. Michael J. Fox is so good as Marty. Yeah. And Harrison Ford is so good as Indiana Jones. Yeah. You can't imagine them anybody else, right? No. Like you, Tom Selleck would have been wrong. Eric Stoltz would have been wrong. Eric Stoltz, in my opinion, is more wrong than Tom Selleck would have been wrong. I agree. But I, I'm with you. Um, but, but both movies are just so good. I don't know. I love them both. It's, it's hard for me to say, but... Uh, for me, Raiders, the action, the adventure, I think it does such a good job of each scene... Topping the other one without it being overkill, mm-hmm. and the, it just keeps pushing the envelope. And oh my gosh, he got away! But now this thing is going, and now you got to do this. Oh my gosh! But Back to the Future, same, same deal, same. right? They knocked out Biff, but now I got to go play the solo because if I don't, if they don't kiss and they don't dance, then I'm then I'm history, right? The, these, if you wanted to have a class on how to write a good story that you, that is a movie and how to create obstacles in a scene that create tension and how to have a character that goes through the hero's journey and comes out the other side better than he was at the beginning, both of these movies would teach your whole class. That's right. That's right. So for all of you who have made it this far, thank you for listening to us. Absolutely. Don't forget to send us a rating. We would love that. It helps us out with our stuff. Check us out on Twitter. At Shirley Podcast. And on Facebook, at Shirley Podcast. Yep. We'd love to hear from you. Please leave comments. Obviously, Dee and I both love these movies, but if you think one is better than the other, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Right. Or maybe you're going to argue that Die Hard is better than both of them. We'd be hard-pressed to make an argument against that, honestly. It's a really great movie. Or maybe you've got some other movie from the 80s. If you've got some movie from the 80s that you can say, this movie was better than Die Hard, better than Raiders, and better than Back to the Future, I want to hear it. No doubt. No doubt. If you are one of these uh, people who believe that Crystal Skull is the best Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> don't call in. Do not, we do not want to hear from you. That's for sure. Your opinion no longer matters. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you, Jason, for coming here and doing this with Man, me. I love it. Uh, I can't believe I finally got to talk in-depth, dork out. <laughs> thank you guys for listening to us. Thanks, Dee. All right, that's it for episode four. Please join us next week. We're going to tackle two of my favorite albums of all time, Def Leppard's Pyromania versus Def Leppard's Hysteria. Yes, tune in for that one. Can't wait to see you guys. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you got a chance to throw us a five-star review, we'd love that too. See you guys next week. Thanks.
Hey everybody, welcome back. We are here for the final episode of the Raiders vs. Back to the Future. My kid is calling me on the phone. <laughs> All right. Hey. <coughs> nice. Ah, uh, yep. All right. And take two. All music images and movie clips are used for the purposes of commentary and education in conjunction with the fair use agreement under the U.S. copyright law.